Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message entitled, The Timeless Story of Mary, was given by Darren Roundson and is the fourth in our series, Advent. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get some Bibles to you. We're going to be looking at the story of Mary. Um, but last week, we talked about uh, the Old Testament promise being fulfilled. The promise that there would be uh, somebody that comes before the Messiah to prepare the way for the Lord, and that was John the Baptist. And we, we read and we talked through that there was, it was kind of this massive story from the Old Testament connecting to the New Testament about John the Baptist coming to prepare the way, and his message was a message, a message of baptism and repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And when asked what did repentance look like, he said, um, he said to some, he said, just be generous. To others, he said, be honest. And to still others, he said, be content. And that was kind of shocking. It was anticlimactic. Here comes the one that would prepare the way, make the path straight for the Lord. And his message was, be honest, be generous, and be content. You would think, arms, bear arms, let's go. Um, but it wasn't. It was uh, kind of a reversal. But what we talked about, too, is that that story was told through a story of a couple, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And Luke tells the story of the coming of the promised one, the, the one that would prepare the way through the story of an old Jewish couple. And the story is Zechariah was a priest and he was married to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was of priestly descent, which means that they were prominent in Jewish culture. And there he was in Jerusalem the holy city, in the temple as a priest, in the holy temple. And not only that, he was performing a very holy act. He was burning incense before the Lord. And an angel appeared to him. Now, if you are reading this, and Luke is making it a point, that this is exactly where you would expect God to show up. Of course he would show up in Jerusalem. Of course he would show up in the holy city. And, the, and of course the temple. And of course while a, a priest nonetheless is performing a religious act. God would obviously show up there. But then we hear the story of Mary. And it's, it's contrasted between the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. So if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Page uh, 710 in the Bible, the Yellow Bible. Actually, all Bibles, page 710. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, Chapter 1, verse 26. This is a story of the coming of the Messiah, the promised child. And listen to how he's introducing it. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. In the sixth month, God sent the same angel that he sent to Zechariah, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. What kind of introduction is this? 
Zechariah was just introduced as having this lineage married to this woman who had an even greater lineage. She was connected to Aaron. And as he introduces Mary, the mother of the Messiah, there is no lineage. There is nothing that's mentioning her family at all. And not only that, if, if Zechariah was found in Jerusalem, Nazareth, scholars were waiting to figure out where Nazareth was. There's nothing historical Nothing messianic about Nazareth. In fact, Galilee was, would be like a modern-day Barstow. And forgive me if you're from Barstow. I don't mean to keep nailing, but, but it would be like going to Newberry Springs in Barstow. For those of you that know where it is, it's in the middle of nowhere. Most of us don't know where it is. So the angel shows up to Jerusalem and encounters a priest, and now the angel shows up to the middle of nowhere, And Luke is making it perfectly clear. He's showing up to nobody significant. If you are reading this and have the context of what Luke is writing, he's telling you that there is nothing significant about Mary at all other than the fact that she's chosen. And Mary, who is Mary? We don't know a lot about her. She's a handmaiden makes her a servant, she's probably around the age, between the ages of 10 and 13 years old. Why do we know that? And why is that so shocking? Well, a woman in the first century in Jewish tradition would be betrothed or pledged to a man once they hit puberty. So we have a junior high school student living outside of Barstow as a maidservant, as breaking child protective laws to, to work. And an angel of the Lord comes to her and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. What Luke is saying in these first two verses is this. There's nothing significant about Mary. She is simply normal. We're going to connect that. The story continues. Mary was greatly troubled. um, I'm sorry. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I'm sure that would be the same thought I would have. What kind of greeting is that? Um, Because, anyways, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Again, that word favor. You will be with child, and you will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So Mary's encountered. Again, the angel says, you are highly favored. Do not be afraid. And then, she, then he goes on to say, you're going to have a child, and you're going to give him the name Jesus. Jesus is the English translation of the Greek name Joshua. And Joshua is the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is salvation. The name of our Messiah is Yahweh is salvation. And then the angel goes on. Oh, man. And he just just unloads this unbelievable Old Testament imagery. It's just straight out of 2 Samuel chapter 7. You can check it out later, but it's 2 Samuel 7. But he says, he will be called great. This is the promise that that God makes to David. This is right out of 2 Samuel. He will be called great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. I mean, this is the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Old Testament. 
of the coming Messiah. It's here. It's here. And he goes on, he says that uh, the house of J- he, will, he will reign over the house of Jacob, his kingdom will never end. All it's saying is simply this, that this is the promised child. Are you guys following? And, and you could imagine, like we saw just a little bit ago, the reaction. How will this be? Mary asked the angel since I am a virgin. And listen to his response. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, was, uh, she, who, she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible for God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. That come upon you, that language is, is the same language used in the Old Testament in the book of Judges and used when prophets would be filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesy or the book of Judges when a particular judge would come and rule over a people group. It's used in Acts chapter 2 by Luke to describe what happens when, the, when Pentecost happens. When the Spirit of God comes upon and rests on individuals. That's what he's saying. Now you've got to remember this, this is before the book of Acts, so the Spirit rested on a, a select few. So the Holy Spirit now is resting. It's going to rest and, and come upon Mary. But there's an even more significant word. It says the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The word overshadow is the Greek word for the concept of Shekinah. The glory, the manifested glory of God. When you read in the Old Testament, when, when Moses stumbled, the burning bush. He stumbles upon a manifested physical presence of the glory of God. Or in, the, in Exodus, when the tabernacle is built, the Shekinah glory, God's manifested glory comes and fills the tabernacle. And then when the temple is built, the same thing. The Shekinah glory. This is, this is if you were a Jew, this is an epic moment. That word is so big. And what, is, what God is saying is that the Messiah is going to be born and Mary's womb is going to have the glory of God inside of it. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon her and His glory is going to fill her womb. And then He goes and He says that He's going to give him a name. Uh, he will... He will be called the Son of God. The Son of God is only referred to Jesus. It is a title that He is literally the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies, that He indeed is God's Son. That He is equal. That's what it means. He's equal to God. He's just describing what's going to happen, and then He breaks it down practically. The angel explains to her needing of explanation. He says that, you know, your cousin Elizabeth, your relative is of old age, but she's six months pregnant. And this is what I want to to hit on a little bit tonight. He says to her, for nothing is impossible for God. Can I say that one more time? For nothing is impossible for God. You're a virgin, so what? Nothing is impossible. You're barren, so what? Nothing is impossible for God. So the story of the two, the two different stories of the angel Gabriel coming and announcing two different births. 
is fascinating. Zechariah and Elizabeth, a married priestly couple, devout religious people in the, the holy city, in the holy temple, doing a priestly act. And, and Zechariah's response is, you know what, what, what sign can I have that this is going to come true? And he becomes mute. And then there's Mary. No relatives mentioned. Nothing significant about her. She's in outside of Barstow. Insignificant by all human standards. And her need for explanation gives her the ability to respond, which is why I believe this is why she was chosen. This is what makes Mary significant. She says to God, who was asking, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel of the Lord left her. The Christmas story, guys, it's so much bigger. Let's continue. I want to I touch on what her song looks like. Anytime the, something significant happens in the book of Luke, it's always kind of addressed with a song. Zechariah, uh, we read last week that he sang a song too. It was full of prophecy. Are you guys following? Verse 46 says this. Um, uh, 45 says, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And this is her song. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the human state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And look at the tense that she uses. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts and their imagination. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary has this unbelievable song drenched in Old Testament promise and illusion. This is a thunderous war poem. And it starts off with the first thing she recognizes. The first thing she recognizes is that God has recognized her in her poor, lowly state and has shown favor. God chose Mary despite her circumstance and condition. There was nothing significant about her. And she's saying, God's name is holy because he has favored her for no reason. But then the, the rest of the poem, and I don't want to go too much into it. I really just want to keep this simple tonight. The rest of the poem is her anticipating what God's going to do. And understanding that he's going to accomplish everything he already promised her. So she speaks in a Greek tense that is timeless. It's a tense used in Greek to describe something that was true in the past, that's true in the present, and that will be true in the future. And all of that is that God's going to use the lowly, the poor, the oppressed, by all world standards, to bring his triumphant glory through to the world. That's the story of Mary. That's the Christmas story. 
And so she anticipates and models what God will do. And, and this, isn't, this isn't unfamiliar. In fact, this is a theme used all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Luke uses this to write almost his entire, new, uh, his entire encounter with Acts and in, in the book of Luke. But Paul talks about it too. It's called what theologians say uh, is the great eschatological reversal. Eschatology is a study of end times and things. And it's basically the understanding that the world operates a certain way. And God tends to, is going to and does flip that stuff on its head. He flips what the world says. The world says power, wealth, success, victory, and he flips it. Look at the example of the cross. Jesus will go on 30 years from this time. And he will use the cross, which was the world standard of humiliation and complete defeatedness. It was the ultimate expression of defeat. And he goes on to turn it into the greatest act of love and victory. That's the great reversal. And Jesus talks all throughout the New Testament. Uh, the first shall be last. The last shall be first. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, you have to serve the most. That's the idea. Do you guys get what he's saying? The Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness. He flips it. And the poem is Mary, at a 13-year-old girl, getting it. She gets it. And she speaks it as if it already happened and says, this is what it's going to be like for God in the future. He will continue and has and continues to use people in their lowly state, despite circumstance, to partner with him to accomplish his purposes. Mary's significance is that she was simply obedient to God. She said yes. I always wonder, what, I wonder if God would have chosen somebody else. I wonder if he was just looking for the right person to say yes to. Somebody was going to say yes, and that is why he chose Mary. And so tonight, we really wanted to slow it down. We didn't want to do announcements. We didn't want to kind of cloud this whole experience. We wanted to come as one body and hear maybe what God has for us. And I think the story tonight is what we, got, we are invited into. And I want to I ask you guys to, to sit right now and contemplate, where do you find yourself in the Christmas story? Where do you see yourself in the story? I think for many of us, we cannot get our minds around that God will use us wherever we're at. We don't believe it. We think we need to be significant. We think we need to have our, our life in order. That once I get through the addiction, then I will be used. Or once I quit this sinful behavior, then I will be used. But time and time again, the significant thing is that he's looking for people to say yes. That's it. And so for tonight, the, the gift that some of you need to receive is the fact that you have to be gracious to yourself. God already calls you beloved. It's, it's fascinating to me because Mary is, is partnering with the Holy Spirit to bring in the Messiah in a very, very particular way. She gives birth to Jesus. 
But Acts chapter 2 will speak the same exact language to everyone that says yes to Jesus. Some of you haven't said yes, but when you say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God comes inside of you, and He begins to do a work transforming you and wanting to use you to transform the rest of the earth, to bring on His redeeming acts. That reveals His glory. It's the same type of partnership. So for you, the story, for some of you, is part one. You just need to sit in the fact and just accept the fact that God wants to use you. Right where you are. And you know who you are. You're trying to figure out how to get this going. You don't understand. We'll simply receive tonight the gift of grace and acceptance. Others of you... And I think for our, our community, I feel like a lot of you are resting in this story too. The second part of the story is that you are weighed down by every possible circumstance. I walk with some of you and I get it. You've been hit time and time and time and you just can't get enough and you just realize that you just keep getting hit. You've lost your job. You've lost wages. You've lost your house. Some of you are losing relatives. Some of your family members are in the hospital. And Christmas season is not a season of hope for you. But the story tonight that you get to rest in is simply a banner. And I know some of you just, maybe you can't accept it, but you're going to sit tonight and just listen to the truth of God that is timeless. It is timeless. He did it then. He does it now. And he's going to continue to do it. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. So tonight, would you sit with the two possibilities? Maybe you find yourself somewhere else but we're going to continue to worship. And I just want to invite you, if you're being stirred in a way that something's clicking, we have a prayer team, and there'll be people here next to the crosses that are willing to pray over here. There'll be people in the back with prayer tags. You can come find me. We want to pray for you. God will, is doing something already. So let me just pray for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for the stories of hope that you give us in this, in this, in this Bible, in the Scripture, Lord. Just invite you right now, Jesus, to do your work. I just want to say that this is not about the transferring of information, but this is about transformation. Lord, I pray that we would see ourselves in the story, that we would recognize that you want to partner with us for your triumphal works here on earth right now, where we are, where we're at, where we live, not someplace else, but right where we're at. Help us to see that, Jesus.
And Lord, I just pray a, a covering over tonight that we would recognize that nothing is impossible for you. Lord, that that simple sentence would be the Christmas hope we needed to hear. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from the Garden, or would like to find out more about the Garden Church, please visit our website at thegardenlb.org.